Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, the J10 Initiative. You ready? Welcome to the podcast. Father Nathan. Father John. This is Catholic Stuff. Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Here we are. In case you were looking for a podcast on designing women, this is not it. We this are, is not it. We are... Coming to you live from Schloss Goebbels. The Schloss Goebbels, the basement. Uh, things sound way better down here. I don't know if it's these these uh, microphones, but I, I was checking the sounds on when I recorded with Mikey Boy, and it was just like, man, hmm. this is just so. This is the this is the real place. This is where the magic happens here. So we're, here we are on a Sunday afternoon, kind of in the lull. Uh, priestly life is uh, it takes a certain lull on uh, Sunday afternoons. I'd say you know, definitely hit the, hit the mornings. Yeah, and then it just you know so. Yeah, I would. I I was talking to Father Chris, my new parochial vicar, about this, and just kind of saying I I usually treat Sunday as uh, you have to work in the morning. Certainly, I mean it's that's your that's your biggest time to meet most of your parishioners. But the afternoons tend to be a lot lighter, and I think it's important just to make it a light working day. Right. Like not if you do anything, like you do laundry. Like that's a light working day, but it's it's helpful because you're going to take your Sabbath rest the next day. Um, and sometimes if you just say I'm done with masses, and then now what? Am I just going to veg? Uh, I think it I think it tends to lead to a lot of dissipation. Yeah, and dissipation is a a new temptation now. Tour de France is going, you know. So we've got infinite number of highlights and Have watching seen- all the crashes. Did you see yesterday? No. I mean, it was pouring rain in Nice, France, mm-hmm. and these guys were just crashing all over the place. It was it was a mess. They have so. a they have a semi truck that's their mobile bubble. Have you seen this thing? Mm-mm. They they have a they have a semi truck that's been retrofitted for uh like sleeping quarters or whatever, so that they don't have to sleep in hotels. They just kind of bunk in this you know mobile you know isolation chamber. That is crazy. You know, apparently the uh, conditions around the sleeping quarters and the life these guys live for the three-week race is, it's pretty rough. I mean, this is, but we got a Colorado boy, uh, Sepp Kuss. Have you heard about him? No. Team Humbo uh, Visma, and he is from Durango, Colorado. And nice. he's one of the best climbers in the world, so. He's not the one that, uh, that uh, who else, wasn't there a runner from Durango and and uh, he's like considered one of the best runners in the world, and Seth Seth Demore, like well, Seth, yeah, uh, I don't know who that is. Um, this guy was a mountain biker, and now he's turned to road cyclist. He's twenty five. He's amazing. So we're all rooting for for his team. So he got a shot. Well, he's a domestique, so he's a house 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 slave. Exactly. So he is the climber, and so he on the like today was a climbing stage. So his job is to set up. Um, Primoz Roglic, who's the uh, Slovenian, I think Slovenian, um, who their their team is trying to set up to win. Hmm. So so he'll go for some climbing stuff. But uh, what does that mean that he sets him up? Well, he'll uh, you know a lot of it is the domestiques are the guys who are setting the paces, cutting wind. You know he so they're trying to protect him in the peloton. So like the domestiques yesterday, they're on more of a flat course and. Uh, they're just trying to work to kind of support and protect him, hmm. you know, set him up for uh, for the next three weeks to try and do everything they can to kind of keep him keep him in place. And so, but you never know; he might go for the climbing classification, and which would be amazing. So, he's our guy. We're rooting for him. So, 
And Roglic as well. So. And Roglic. And Roglic as well. So, yeah, so that's that's what's going on there. But uh, now here on the home front, you know, we're just uh, – we were warming up the, the pre-banter with uh, discussion of another disappointment of corned beef and hash. Uh, well, yeah, kind uh, of. Typical. It wasn't, it wasn't pure corned beef and hash. It was just – it was hash, and on the side they put corned beef. But, you know, it was like, what is going on? What is going on here? So we're, we're back in the seminary. Guys are rolling. Um, Father Nathan is the, uh, he's the cool uncle who drops in to the house. The guys love it. Um, and I was happy you got to meet all the boys. I have 12 guys that I live with at the seminary. We're in for two weeks now. And uh, first week of class is done. They're not in apostolates yet, but we are back in, in class. And so, mm-hmm. but it's good crew. Yeah, they, crew they were a very lively bunch whenever we were over there. So. Yeah. Uh, we got into a bit of a bit of a tussle over where to hang certain pictures. Right. Uh, I am not. I don't have an eye for it, but I would think that you would want to put two pictures of mountains next to each other uh, instead of mountains and Rome, and then another one, another side is mountains and whatever. Right. But I was wrong, I guess. So whatever. Uh, there might not have been a right on that one, but um, yeah, certainly you brought an interesting thematic. Right approach to interior design which you know i hadn't hadn't really thought about so designing women you you know it really is about design delta burke i mean she was she was a legend in her own right do you remember that show no idea no idea oh whatever yeah sorry about that there were certain shows that came on before seinfeld that you just had to sort of you know like muppet babies Muppet Babies? No. <laughs> no, like, I mean, I'm like, it, they were on like at whatever, 5.30, and then, oh, I see and then they would come yeah, on the, at the, 6. The lag time. Yeah, the, like, that was you like... catch the five minutes of Married with Children, which was just total garbage. <laughs> oh that show was garbage. My dad forbid us from watching that show. It really was. I mean, that was just, yeah. And that was back in the day when you had wholesome shows that ended with a... Like Family Matters, there's always a moral, right. a moral yes. teaching at the end. Yes, and uh, yeah, we ha- you'd have to slog through that though to get to The Simpsons, and then you know something else to get to Seinfeld, and then it was dinner time, you know. Right, and then you start over tomorrow, watch more TV. Pretty much, yeah, that's what we did. So yeah, well, Gobel, uh, we have some uh, you know some interesting topics to uh, dive into tonight, so. Shall we just do it? I, I don't want to take up too much time uh, this evening because uh, tonight we're going to celebrate me. Me, you know that's true. So we got to uh, it's Father John's birthday. Yep, he's he's much younger than I am, um, so uh, it's important that we uh, allow his his year of birth to be right. venerated and celebrated. If you don't know, Father Mike, Father Nathan, and I. No, uh, no, uh, no, you can't say that. Well, I'll let you in on a little secret, folks. Uh, my parochial vicar does not listen, so if you happen to mention this to him, please, this is a secret between us. I don't know if I told you, but Father Chris thinks that I'm 41. Seriously? Yes. Yeah, he's. Um, yeah, he said. He said the other day, he's like, "Yeah, I like you over 40," and I was like, "I know." Yeah, crazy. And uh, and then he said it again. He said it twice. So. Um, He's under the impression that I'm 41, and I'd like to keep it that way. We'll keep it that way. Okay, so you are actually born in 1979, but right, uh, but we were all born in the same year. We're right. all the 83 Muppet 83 babies. 83 Muppet babies, exactly. Fozzie Bear here, Kermit, and what was the wild one? Animal. Animal. <laughs> that's, probably that's, Mike. that's Mike. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so Goble has uh, four months of acquired wisdom now that he's 
into the early 40s here. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm 37. You know, I, I've been looking. The only reason I look forward to the age of 37 was to be able to quote Monty Python. Right. I'm not old. I'm 37. Right. You remember that scene? Very important. Yeah. Old woman. Man. Uh, old old man. Not old. 37. But my guys don't. I don't think you would care. They don't get that at all. So I'm like, okay. More of this brilliant, you we're, know, media jokes wasted on the. We're youth. having a German. We're having a German fest tonight, which is great because uh, last no Friday night I had my own German fest uh, with the Malone family. Uh, not necessarily, but we had the apple butter burgers again. Mm. Um, and uh, I'm serious. That's I think that's more Rhinelander fair. Yep. Yep. You know, and then I I, so. and then I looked at my uh, slate of of uh, appetizers, and I did pretzels with hot mustard, uh, hot pickle slices, pickled green beans, and deviled eggs. It's like this is this is it. This is Rhinelander. You're fair. rolling into it, yeah. Embracing the uh, Gerbil side. So my uh, poor sister, you know, I asked her, "Can you host this thing?" And she goes, uh, "I was like, just do whatever you want." That's how it always starts every year. Just do whatever you want, right? Yes. And then as it gets closer and closer, I make more and more demands. So yeah. she's like, Mexican or German? I was like, definitely German. And uh, if well, if we're doing German food, then we need to do this and this. And you need to get dumplings from Golden Europe. And, Which are Czech. Right. But you got to have that. I mean. Okay. And she's just like, oh, my God, you are so needy. And I was like, well, you asked, you know. So. Right. Fortunately, Mary Neppel has a, st- married to a Czech boy, has uh, a solid stash of uh, dumplings that we'll have to replenish sure it will be used tonight so excellent yep so anyways so celebrating we, tonight so we got to roll into this we, here we got to uh, roll yes. in and roll out so That's right so tonight uh what i'd like to uh talk about is uh the the name of this podcast is drinks after lord's day and uh this libations is be, after lord's that's day. right libations after lord's day so this is um the typical thing is every saturday night at six o'clock or sometime thereafter depending on when guys roll in we get together to to bring about and to celebrate the Lord's Day. And this is a tradition that comes back from the um, St. Paul Companions and the charismatic renewal communities that they were a part of. As priests, uh, the Lord's Day is a, is a tricky thing because it's the busiest time of the week. And so with the Companions, we've been really intentional about celebrating and beginning that together. And that usually means Saturday night dinner. Sometimes it means we do a little pranzo on Sunday afternoons, but usually... Most Saturday nights for the last 13 years, we've been together, uh, and it's been great. And uh, But in the last month, we've uh, there's a couple different households. So Global has a group out here in Arvada. I'm connected with the guys in Denver, and uh, we've, uh, we've just had uh, you know appetizers, and then we pray evening prayer, and then we do dinner, and we have uh, share graces and the whole bit, night prayer, dishes, and then out onto the patio for libations. And the conversations continue. And uh, so tonight what I'd like to do is uh, draw you into a little bit about what are what are we talking about, you know? When you put a dozen priests and seminarians together and they're talking about life and they're talking about the church and the world, what are the things that are of interest to them? Sure. And uh, there are a number of topics, but there's one in particular that I think is a growing uh, concern and that I want to uh, kind of bring us into. So this is just kind of an extension of okay. that. How does right. that sound? Ladies, pop your white clam. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Little so, mango white clam. Mm. Yeah, exactly. 
So the uh, so the guys in the parishes have been uh, like Father Nathan here have been been through a, a pretty wild six months. COVID land um, is just it's a very weird, extraordinary period in the church. But what we're seeing is uh, this is not something that is just going to pass. This is something that's really leaving an impression on the church, on the world, and it's the effects of this are going to be with us for a long time. And it's not just. Um, it's not just um, COVID, but it's it's all of the kind of chaos and instability of the world and riots and everything that's happening, elections, all these different things. So uh, George Weigel wrote a great article for First Things. Did you see that one? How we got or why we are where we are mm-hmm. was the name of it. Worth reading. Just It's only like a thousand words. It's not that long. But he, uh, he referred to 2020 as the anus horribilis, right? The horrible year. And I think that the more and more I, I preached a wedding about this on Friday, and I was like, you know, I think your kids are going to look back and be like, wow, you were married in 2020. That's going to be like 1969, you know, 19, 1917, whatever, you know. Sure. These years that just kind of are definitive markers, and I think that that's, that's one of the times that we're living in. And so one of the things that's happening is that as as we priests are kind of coming together on Saturday nights and hashing through this and saying, what are we seeing? What are guys seeing, especially in the parishes who are on the front lines? There's two major um, movements that are happening, and this is in Catholics, okay? So we're talking about uh, what are we seeing in in people that we love, our Catholic friends, our parishioners. Um, Two movements in opposite directions that are strangely similar that are both really concerning, and that's kind of what I'd like to just propose tonight and hear your thoughts on and then give a suggestion of kind of how we shoot the middle uh, and then we'll wrap it up from there. So number one, there is a large swath of Catholics who have taken the opportunity of COVID to just completely um, embrace the non-practice of the faith. So it's just kind of like, yep, what we're seeing is like there's not a lot of fight in the dog here of like, we yes. really want to get back. We're really excited to get back. Now there's many, many people who have legitimate reasons to not be at mass. Sure. And, uh, but you know, in South Dakota, my old spiritual director, Bishop Don DeGrude, he, he put the, uh, requirement back on for mass. The Sunday obligation is back yeah, That's you know, right in South Dakota. Yep. So, I mean, there's all kinds of things we could talk about with that, but the, the concerning thing is, you know, you have this massive disaffiliation, uh, pattern that's happening sociologically. So one in three Catholics in the United States disaffiliating from the faith. You have massive lapsation, which is an effect of COVID, but it was already there, right? There was already kind of a, a lapsed spirit within Catholics, even the ones who were going to mass that are kind of just like, well, eh, we're just kind of disconnected now from, from the church and mm-hmm. we don't, we don't really miss it. We don't really care. That's concerning. And or that it's kind of nice that we don't have to go to mass. Right. This is just great. You know, it kind of affords an opportunity to and, and reinforces something that was already there. So, but beneath that is something more distressing, which is, and this is what I would say is the first pattern, um, which is the wholesale embrace of the ideological forces that are at work in our culture right now. Um. And I, I am talking to people who are spewing out one-liners, who are saying all the buzzwords um, that sound to me that just speak of Nietzsche, they speak of Marx, they speak of Freud. Everything is held in suspicion. Everything is about power. And uh, 
that kind of hermeneutic, that kind of an interpretation of reality of the world, um, is really profoundly unchristian. It's very, mo- it's very modern, postmodern. Uh, but what's scary is the way that Catholics are just absorbing. It's like we're just soaking in all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some friends who I've spoken to recently um, who are more in the world than I am uh, because I'm kind of in my own little seminary universe, and uh, they give me a little better sense of kind of what it's like, and they're feeling really alienated by talking to Catholics. And these people, we're not talking about like, uh, uh, you know, disenfranchised or lapsed Catholic. We're talking about like people who would say I'm a, I'm a good Catholic, but they're just completely given over to the ideologies at work. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've been hammering about ideology for the last two years here, even before uh, 2020 started. But um, it's extremely distressing. And it's everything. It's, it's all the media buzz. It's all, it's the complete, reduction of society to politics that's happening. It's um, Marxist-influenced movements, such as Black Lives Matters, that are, uh, despite the good that's being done there, there's just a lot of hate and confusion and a spirit of suspicion that's that's just sweeping across the hearts of a lot of people. And the scary thing is how uncritically that's being appropriated by Catholics. Sure. Um, that that's the first thing I would say. And I don't know if you have any thoughts on that being in the parish. So, well, I would I would say that it's it's very difficult at times to be able to to distinguish in people uh, what exactly they want from from the church, other than uh, wouldn't you wouldn't you agree with this, Father? Everything everything that that we're talking about, wouldn't you agree with this? And if you say no, then you're going to get the vitriol. You're going to get the anger. Because it's like, no, we don't listen to people who say we don't agree with this because we've we've for too long remained silent. So um, I, I think that it's hard for the church at, at this time to have a prophetic voice when uh, we've we've kind of taken in wholesale uh, a number of other prophets that we say you're speaking, you're finally speaking the truth. Yeah, and um, I would say that there there have been moments. Where I've I've had to propose even you know from the pulpit that uh, the the church has has a solution, but I don't think it's going to be the solution that a lot of people find uh, beneficial or helpful. I'm happy to give that right now, or we can wait until later. I'd say uh, let's wait and go a little later. Okay, because I want to put out these two movements that um, I think are not doing it, and then and then because one of the things last night was like guys sitting around. There's a lot of like. There's a lot of banter, but there's also a lot of kind of like this is wrong, this is wrong, and it's like, well, what, what can we say to help people get this right, you know? So, but I think it is helpful to just identify certain patterns, you know. For example, when you deny the fundamental right and dignity, the rights that flow from the dignity of the human person, every single person, then it's understandable that the society's fragment, according to every kind of distinction, and it becomes a power struggle and a reinterpretation. And violence to try and and reassess that or rearrange that. I mean, this is just what happens. And so, we're kind of we're reaping the bitter fruits of a secularized, hollow society that has become post-Christian. Yes. And and the scary thing is that right. there's not a Catholic worldview in our Catholic hearts that is able to say, "Whoa, whoa, this is actually um, this is antithetical to the message of Jesus, which is the which is the salvation of man. Right, period. and that's that was actually the point. So I think it's fine for me to say it now, is that 
we haven't just become post uh, we we haven't just become like the 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 post um post christian in the sense that uh we've gotten away from christianity it's that we still have people who say that they are christian and still I still have people who say that they are catholic and they and some of them want to be deeply catholic either culturally I've been Catholic all my life. My family's right. been Catholic all my life. You can't tell me that I'm not Catholic. Or they want to be very Catholic, you know, and and be so Catholic that in some sense they they don't see that anybody else could be Catholic. And the hard part about it is when you when you come into a post Christian Christian world, it's that we've adopted certain principles that have gotten us to where we are now. But uh, we've gotten away from some of the major principles, like the fundamental dignity of the human person, uh, at any stage of life. Um, I was very proud to see that in Georgia, somebody uh, painted a mural across from Planned Parenthood that said, baby lives matter. That's a powerful statement, given everything that's going on. Now, people don't like that because they say, well, if you, if you change the name of black to babies... Now, all of a sudden, you're saying that black lives don't matter because, you know, you feel uncomfortable saying that. It's like, no, I think we can say that all lives matter right. or that, uh, you know, Asian lives matter or Mexican lives matter. But we we want to advance the fundamental dignity of the human person. But then there are other principles that flow from that that we're like, mm, I don't know if I'm I don't know if I'm on board with the way you see that. But then the problem with that is the church isn't one of these things that you can just pick and choose from. Right. Because then it it does become hollow um, and easily deflated in the in the eyes of the world, right? And I think that that hollowness is um, there are so. And this is where I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of be very specific here. And uh, the hollowness in the Catholic hearts, in terms of the the lack of catechesis, the lack of understanding of the faith, which is a lot of, a lot of it is, is being filled by people who are are wrong and are are giving a false understanding of the faith. And so this kind of ideological takeover of the Catholic mind is is happening by people who are saying things like uh you know all of these teachings that are so oppressive and antiquated such as the church's teachings on marriage and sexuality and the kind of the typical five or six whatever it is we actually we know better and we know that that's not true. And we, the magisterium of these theologians or, or priests or whoever they are, saying we have the ability to reinterpret these things in light of what's happening, but what what is and and represent it. And but what's happening is a total distortion of the Catholic vision. Because mm-hmm. the thing, the 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 damnedest thing about being Catholic is that it's Catholic, which means it's universal. So the, you you can't take everything except for the whole. Because it all fits together yeah. beautifully and perfectly and integrity. And there was a point in our lives when we were like, oh, we saw the whole. And we saw how everything fits together. And we gave our life to Christ because we saw the integrity of, and the wholeness of it. And so you can't just say, I'm going to take over uh, and embrace my Catholic faith, but then reinterpret it in light of gender ideology. You can't do that. And the, the main speaker on this in the United States is Father James Martin. And I, I'm going to put him as an example of somebody who's an architect of saying this is possible to reinterpret our Catholic life in light of 
the postmodern worldview and we can live this out and everything's really malleable and changeable and it's it's really pretty gray and uh you know we just have to love people but these truths are are you know like they're just truncating everything and and i think that's that's a pattern that's that's really affecting a lot of a lot of our friends and family and parishioners and it needs to be called out and it needs to be said this is not this is not the orthodox faith this is not the faith of jesus christ that you you can't just separate it from these truths that are that are integral to the whole thing like you can't separate the church's teaching on marriage from the trinity they they work together everything yes. from the incarnation everything works together so that's one side and that's distressing and that's not going to be terribly surprising to people to hear that then there's the other side and i would just say um uh, just biographically uh in the life of the of the catholic stuff james martin spoke did an interview with um father michael o'loughlin uh at the um at the la congress and father michael said i have this interview with uh father james martin do you think that we should post it and we said no because there are portions of his of his talk that I think actually I would agree with, and I think that that's important for us to say uh, that that aspect. You know, like we can find some common ground. The problem is these persons sometimes get waved as um, as banners, and it's like we're in the James Martin camp, which means that you are agreeing with all of the things that he is saying, and that's where it's just like no, I I will not allow him to uh, to to uh, mislead or uh, deceive some of our listeners who actually, I think, would say from us, we trust you. You know, we actually we actually yeah. want you. And the, the reason why they trust us, hopefully, is because we are staying within the bark of Peter. And I would say that there have been moments where I've heard what he has said and said, that is not the faith of Jesus Christ, and it's not the Catholic faith. Right. So I'm like, no, you're not. We're not posting it, and that was that was backed up, and um, I I don't know where those recordings are. Yep, we don't. But um, I think that's that's really important. Is that there are truths being said. Um, the problem is the spirit by which it's being said. Sure. This, if I was going to say simplify all of this to one thing, it's it's not about the content of what's being said. It's about how we're thinking and how the spirit by which we're saying these things. And and this is. This is a very problematic approach because, again, it sets up. We get to decide and determine what the Catholic faith means to us, you know. And uh, if if some things are kind of um, uncomfortable in the public square, then we have to kind of jettison them or kind of rework it. Or and so that's one side of it, you know. It's just the 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 total kind of wholesale selling out to the ideologies at work, which are in, intrinsically postmodern. They're not Christian. Some of them are anti-Christian, uh, and Catholics just kind of soaking it up from Facebook or whatever it might be. That's one side. Okay. To the other side, and this might uh, rub uh, our friends and even listeners a little more. Um, there is a phenomenon that is the opposite extreme of what's happening with the James Martin kind of wholesale sellout, which is what I would call the radicalizing of the Catholic right, right? Father Brian Larkin would call this the um, this kind of this kind of Catholic evangelical thing. What we're talking about here is, and it seems to be a, a phenomenon that has happened under the Francis pontificate, and certainly that has had effects in it, and that's a whole other topic we could we could go into. But basically, there's kind of a new 
rigorism that's happening around what it means to be Catholic. And uh, COVID has accentuated this. This is obviously going to be a much smaller kind of demographic, but we find ourselves sitting on the back patio after Lord's Day having drinks. Literally one guy said last night, when did we become the liberals? Sure. Because the archbishop wants people receiving communion in the hand. So if we say, please do that, and people literally lose their minds, yes. lose lose yes. their minds on this topic, yes. um, and then accuse us of being just kind of sellouts and everything, it's like the right is going hmm. way extreme. Wow. And the, the there is a very clear architect and leader behind this, and his name is Taylor Marshall. And I think that Marshall has, again, like you said, many good things that he's saying, but he styles himself uh, as a prophet and he speaks with a magisterial authority his book his book infiltration basically talking about how um, all of the corruption in the hierarchy in the church there's a lot of tr- there's truths in this but when you don't cite anything and you make these claims and you start to have this massive influence over american catholics you have to ask yourself who why do you have this authority and the same thing is happening it's the spreading of suspicion and fear and everything thrown into confusion, and then somebody coming with the answer saying, I can tell you what it means to be Catholic. And it means that Robert Barron is wrong and sold out, that von Balthasar is a heretic, and you just kind of go down the list of all of the accusations. And uh, we're, we're, we're really distressed. As your pastors and friends and priests and hopefully people that you trust, uh, we find this very concerning. Mm-hmm. And, and the point of this podcast is to say, there's a there's a weird and a strange kind of bedfellows between James Martin and Taylor Marshall. They're on literally the opposite extremes and in they terms would of positions. Certainly not get along. But they have the same approach, which is not Catholic. You could call it Protestant if you want, which is to say that they're both calling the magisterium of the church into question. And as men who have given our life to the church and who are men of the church, which means men of the magisterium, we're saying um, both of these people are problematic. Reading them is inadvisable. And the way that they're approaching Catholic life in the world is not the answer. Not not the answer, period. If you think that communion on the hand is the question right now, right? right if that's the thing that keeps you up at night, and uh, you got to say to yourself, like, what what planet are you living on? Things have gotten too extreme on this side, and we have to, we got to come back to reality here. Yeah, I mean, I have had the situation as a pastor— where I've been distributing communion um, and see someone come forward, and as they approach, uh, they, I, I always make the announcement. This is the announcement that I make um, at every Mass. Um, we'll communicate, you know, the sides of the church. Please try to uh, stay as relatively socially distanced as you can. Uh, please only attempt to receive communion on the hand. Uh, you may remove your mask as you approach the minister. You don't have to, but you may. Please continue to pray for your brothers and sisters who have not been able to receive the Eucharist for some time. That's it. So as they approach, they know that I said, you know, please only attempt to receive on the hand. They will lock eyes with me, roll them like this, and then stick out their hands. And I want to say to them, maybe now's not the time for you to receive communion. Yeah. Because you're making this more of a deal than it has to be. And I actually don't think you're disposing yourself well to receive our Lord. Um, there are also people that say, I will refuse to go to Mass uh, if you make me uh, receive communion on the hand or uh, communion, uh, wear a mask during Mass. 
okay? There have been people that have waited in the snow at the, at, at the chance that a priest would come by and give them communion in the life of the church. There have been people in jungles in Mexico that have begged for the priest to be able to come out to their outposts to be able to distribute to them communion. If the priest said, due to this COVID crisis, we would ask you to receive communion, they don't care. They're hungry. Yeah. But we've become so self-entitled and I think so distracted from the good that we're making this a bigger issue than it needs to be. And I would agree that if somebody's saying, like, this is the issue at play, we've gotten into this, the, the question of who should you be obedient to? And if it's not your pastor and it's not your shepherd in, in the bishops, then we have, some, we have some major issues. Right. And I, I, I have a quote that I'd like to read if, if you're... I'm up for it. I just, I think that the, the question of how the reception of communion has become such a hot issue, uh, and we're just shocked. We're just like, what, what in the hell are we... How did we get to this point where this is the thing? Right? You think about the crisis the world is passing through, and you have Catholics fighting and bickering over something as stupid as this, when really at the end of the day you should say, the bishop of Denver is the minister, the minister of the sacraments. So if he says this is how you're going to receive it, he's not less Catholic for than For the you. sake of the common good. For the sake of the common good. That's what we do. Right. And to spin up these wild theories about how it's all— you know, these guys are all Masons and it's all just kind of corruption and everything. It's like this kind of insidious character. Um, it's the exact same thing of reducing the faith to LGBTQ, like which is what James Martin is doing. It's it's taking the faith and and then allowing yourself to become like you said, it's it it becomes your preoccupation, your obsession, and then all of a sudden you get to dictate what are the terms for it means for me to be Catholic? Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's, we're just kind of like, seriously, people, is this, is this crazy? But we have both sides. We, we're, we're getting hammered from both sides. And I guess that's a good place to be. But on the patio last night, I'm hearing guys from their hearts just being like, we're feeling so isolated because we got all these people who are like, how can you possibly still hold what the Catholic Church teaches in terms of sexual ethics and sure. whatever it means? You know, yeah. Why can't you just sell out to the culture? And then we got the other side. Who, who, many of whom are our friends and uh, people who had conversions around the same time as us who have just become so rigorous, rigoristic. Um, it's almost like a new Jansenism. It's like, this is not, this is not human. Mm-hmm. And this is not, this is not, this is not a faith lived in accord with the magisterium. And we understand that there's, there's complexity with the Francis pontificate. We all feel that. Yes. But this kind of approach, uh, which again is, accusatory and one of suspicion it, you say to yourself this is not of god at least yeah. this is not of the jesus that i've come to know right. so, and what is the fruit of this right so go right. ahead and give that quote and then so we'll, we'll the reason why i the reason why i discovered this quote is because i got into an argument with somebody about uh the rules around mass and communion etc and and they said no one is going to tell me what i can and can't do in regards to my faith you know quote all right uh, God, who is all-knowing and all-wise, knows best what we should do to increase his glory. Through his representatives on earth, he continually reveals his will to us. Thus, it is obedience and obedience alone that is the sure sign to us of the divine will. A superior may, it is true, make a mistake, but it is impossible for us to be mistaken in obeying a superior's command. 
The only exception to this is the case of a superior commanding something that in even the slightest way would contravene God's law. Such a superior would not be uh, conveying God's will. God's will, God alone is infinitely wise, holy, merciful, our Lord, creator, and father. He is beginning and end, wisdom and power and love. He is all. Everything other than God is valued to the degree that is referred to him, the maker of all and our redeemer, the final end of all things. Look then at the high dignity that by God's mercy belongs to our state in life. Obedience raises us beyond the limits of our littleness and puts us in harmony with God's will. In boundless wisdom and care, his will guides us to act rightly, holding fast to that will which no creature can thwart. We are filled with unsurpassable strength. Who said that? Maximilian Colby. Wow. Maximilian Colby. Uh, that was uh, from the Office of Readings on uh, on August 14th. Wow. And I had that conversation with that guy, and I was so angry. And somebody could tell I was so angry in the in the sacristy. And, and they just said, you know, I'm sorry you had to deal with that, Father. And I was angry not because he didn't do what I asked. I was angry because he was using his preference as the determination of what must be done. And he wouldn't listen to my encouragement to him to actually say, I'm asking you to do this for the sake of our brothers and sisters. And he said, no. Obedience is the sure way to the divine will. And if there's one person that knew that, it was the man who was in the middle of the crucible of bad decisions by people who were running the government and he just went with it yeah. and ultimately suffered for it. And I'm like, that is, that is going to convey holiness. Yeah. Whatever this is, it's not it's not gonna it's not gonna impress me. Yeah. He did his own thing, but it was it was actually one of those things that I was just like I, I'm I'm not impressed. That is a fantastic line worth unpacking. I read the office that day and kind of obviously blew through that section, but Worth going but, back I mean, to. I don't know because uh, uh, that one was not in the breaver. Okay, okay. You had to act. It was yeah, in the. Act, in that, it was in the the that little red insert or whatever. Uh, okay. So the sometimes insert. people don't see it. But. Yeah. No, that's that's fantastic, and that's it. So it really comes back to, and this is maybe what we'll close with: is what is the nature of obedience, right? And this is what your pastors and priest friends are sitting around on the back patio. Um, our hearts are broken over what's happening in 2020, the state of the church, the state of the world, but um, our obedience is to Christ, and Christ bestows authority upon the church. And uh, so we have an obedience to Christ in the church. They're not separate, right? They're the same thing, right. which means Samuel Aquila, no matter whether you like him or not, is the Archbishop of Denver, he's the successor of the apostles, and that he has given his authority to Nathan Goble to be the pastor of Joan of Arc, and that's how it goes down. I think that the obedience in its essence is not this kind of slavish um, submission. Obedience in its essence is Mar Mary's assent. It's the fiat, right? The fiat is the act of obedience, and I know it's like, uh, here we go, Mary again. But I just, I'm, more and more, I'm like, I'm convinced of like, um, Mary is the answer to our time, period. I told my guys in Fundamental Theology this week, I said, there's really two approaches to life. You can take or you can receive. And the consequences huh. of that choice are radical. Sure. And what I see in James Martin and Taylor Marshall are two guys who are taking the Catholic faith, and then determining for themselves what that looks like. How do we reinterpret the understanding of authority? How do we deal with corruption? 
how do we deal with the pain and the suffering that comes from difficult teachings in our age, they reinterpret that world and then spin that out. But it ends in suspicion and fear and confusion. Mary's fiat, as the quintessential act of obedience, is not taking anything. It's pure, it's pure receptivity. It doesn't mean we're Pollyanna and it's just like we turn a blind eye. There's, there's corruption in the hierarchy of the Catholic Church. There always has been, right? And there always will be. Yeah. It's not to say that that's, you just turn a blind eye to these things, but Mary is the model for how we move through 2020. And I, I, I read this line from Ratzinger and I was like, oh, Ratzinger, I just freaking love it. You remember you sent me Emery de Gaulle book, that book? Ratzinger, oh, yeah. Ratzinger wrote a um, yeah, taught Mariolis. He taught well that one, but then he also oh, yes. yeah yeah. Ratz, uh, Joseph Ratzinger, nineteen fifty four, taught a Mariology course, and I got an essay from Father Nathan, uh, f- thanks to a wonderful priest named Emery de Gaulle at Mundelein Seminary, who wrote uh, a, an article on how he taught Mariology, and I, I'm using it for my course. But I read this line from Ratzinger, and I was like, wow, this is this is it for me. Sure. This is this. When I read this, I was like, this is the, this is, this is the way forward for us because this is the way to Christ. He said, The church is not a contrivance or an apparatus, not merely an institution or one of the usual sociological entities. She is a person. This is the church. She is a mother. She is a woman. She is alive. The Marian understanding of the church is the most categorical antithesis to the merely organizational or bureaucratic concept of the church. Whoa, that's a mic drop right there. Marian understanding is the most categorical antithesis to the merely organizational or bureaucratic conception, which I think both Marshall and um, Martin and Martin fall into, right? She is the antithesis to that. We cannot make the church. We must be church. And we are church. And church is in us only insofar as faith shapes our being above and beyond anything we do. Only in Marian being do we become church. Only in Marian being do we become church. Wow, that, I mean, these are, these are just gems here. At the origins, too, church was not made but born. She was born when the fiat was awakened in Mary's soul. That is the most profound desire of the council, the Second Vatican Council, that the church might awaken in our souls. Mary shows us the way. Ratzinger. Yeah. The man. That's it. That's it. So that's where I think we'll close close this off and just say well, that that's where you'll close it off. All right, here we go. I would I would just say, what is it that the church receives? I'm getting the hands are out. The Italian, the Italian <laughs> hands are out because this is what I preached on the other day. This was the answer that I was saying I, I'd wait for because I like it. I actually think that you and I both kind of think in in similar patterns. You are the one that goes back to the heart of Mary, and I'm usually the one that goes back to the cross. Right. And the other day it was Some Saint- go to the heights, some go to the depths. Sure, but like that's exactly where it is. Like uh St. Paul says, I have resolved to preach nothing but Christ and him crucified. Uh because you know, Greeks look for wisdom and Jews look for science, but we preach Christ crucified. What is it that the church receives? The event of Christ. The event of Jesus Christ is what is received by the church. We didn't create it. We receive it. So what is it we're not you either take or you receive, right? Mm-hmm. Okay? Take this, all of you, and receive it. Like, this is my... You have to receive it. So Jesus is the one actually giving it. We don't come up with it. So what is it He is he's giving? He's giving us his body, broken. And for you to come forward and receive... 
communion. You don't take communion. You receive communion because mm-hmm. we are beggars before the Lord, and we don't control him. And I would just say, like, the event of Christ is what Mary received in her own spirit because, like, I mean, that's the whole dilemma of, you know, what came first, the Immaculate Conception or the fiat, you know? It's because of her, yes, that we have Jesus, but because of his gift, we have Mary. And But both of them are in this deep interplay, mm-hmm. and I would just say that's both of those is, is where we've gotten away from. Right. What are we concerned about? Moral laws and liturgical customs instead of what is the interplay between Mary and Jesus? Jesus giving, us receiving. And, and when, I, when, I, when that guy stood up to me, I was like, that's neither Marian nor Christian. And I, and I, don't, I don't know wh- what that is. That's not Catholic. That's American. Yeah. That's, that's cowboy American. Like, nobody's going to tell me what to freaking do. And I'm like, Ugh, that's so sad. You know, because we've lost something in that. So that's good, man. That's good. We covered a lot here. Um, I think that people are gonna, uh, you know, some some will hear this um, podcast listeners, and this will be a challenge. You know, I have friends who who read Taylor Marshall or read James Martin, and um, I know this is gonna be difficult. But you know, I, I I think that that conversation that's happening in our brotherhood needs to be shared. And uh, that's why I wanted to do this topic tonight. It was just to say, this is what we're seeing. And we're not saying we're right. We're not saying we're balanced. Um, but we are, uh, we're men who have given our life to this, and we're, we're praying and we're talking and we're trying to kind of navigate this together. And I think that, yeah, the Marian posture to receiving the gift of Christ, powerless, crucified in love, this is the way forward. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, anyways. That's what so I'd like you. That's what I'd like to hear more out of both of them. Yeah. I would love to hear James Martin put his theology through the the lens of Christ crucified because at that point I actually think it it doesn't ring true. When Taylor Marshall does the same thing because I think there are some good things that Taylor Marshall has said right. and and portrayed and and done, but then when it comes to this point, it's like that's where we have we're not actually living that. So I think both of them have the capacity to convert as as both you and I do. But I would just say, like, we can't just say wholesale, we recommend both these guys. No. And we would actually call them to conversion to the heart of the church, which is found in the magisterium. I mean, like, uh, St. Ignatius used to say, our mother, the har- holy, the hierarchical church. Right. And when the hierarchical church says something, like, instead of both of them just saying, ah, well, well, we'll do what we want, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. We need to do this together. So. Right anyways. on. Love it. Thanks, man. Thanks. Uh, that was good. Appreciate it. We're uh, off to German food and ein, other conversations. Yeah, we will not be speaking of this tonight. But uh, shout outs, you got any? Oh, rats. I just had uh, um, beers. There's this great brewery in Highlands Ranch called Live in the Dream. Kind of a dumb name, but... Live uh, in the Dream. Great beer. And uh, Sarah and Clay. I think Clay is Thomason, I think the last name. Sarah Anderson, this is Mary Arzola, a.k.a. She used to be known as Mary Misdemeanor Arzola. You remember her? Mm -hmm. Mary Dave Hazen. There you go, yeah. So Brian, their daughter, you wrote a letter, very nice letter to her. I know priests do a ton of this stuff, so I don't remember it. But they're preparing for marriage, wonderful couple, grateful for them. And they sent those vegetables from their garden to you. So you got your zucchini and... Oh, yeah. I thought it was uh, eggplant, but uh, I'm far more excited for the zucchini than eggplant. Yeah, so, so. Sarah and Clay, thank you for those. Thank you. I, I gave him the gobel because he's going to use them and because I won't. That's so. right. 
That's okay. Uh, I don't know if I've given this shout out before, but to Cindy Organ, uh, she's a fly fisher woman uh, from Spring Branch, Texas. Uh, she sent me a towel uh, into the podcast with fishing stuff on it, which is you know always preferred. Oh yeah. Uh, so Cindy, thank you. Um, and then Laura Kaiser, um, she's uh, uh, just a faithful uh, woman that uh, Kaiser, Trev- the Kaiser uh, that Trevor Lontine uh, knows well from um, uh, Wyoming Catholic. So uh, she's a listener up there. So. Thanks to them, um, and uh, that's that's the only two I got. Last shout out to Sister Annunciata Maria of the oh, Father's yeah. Love. They all have these like paragraph long. I don't names. think she's allowed to listen anymore. She's but. not listening, but she took first vows. I think we talked about that two weeks ago. But had a great trip up to Minnesota. You know, the companions up in Minnesota. Some of those boys listen, and um, just great to be with them, see them. So, right. That's it. Catholic Stuff Podcast at Gmail We're out of bourbon. We're heading up. Yep. German Fest tonight. Thanks for listening. We'll see you later, folks. Mm-hmm.